let's be honest. Life insurance is for when the unexpected happens and you want to leave a legacy for your family besides debt and a mountain of unread biblical research books. The Better Insurance Agency can shop for home and auto insurance through multiple carriers to find the best deal, and we can also do that with life insurance as well. It literally takes just a couple of quick questions, and you can get right to finding a plan that fits your needs and your budget. There's even insurance policies that don't require the time to take a physical before you sign up. And you know what that means. More time for you to dig into that pile of biblical research. Check out our life insurance options at thebetterquote.com. Once again, that's thebetterquote.com. Only available in Virginia and Tennessee. This is Ryan Peterson, and you are listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. We should read our Bible as men digging for buried treasure. The Bible is the world's most popular enigma. Its secrets lost to cultures beneath the sands of time. Or is it? It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. God wants you to seek, to read his word, to to look for that knowledge. He wants you to do that. And the people at Nicaea, they like chopped out 80 books of the Bible. We need to bring those back. More bad guys in this thing than a Bruce Willis. Oh yeah. Let's back it up here. I, I love the intro to the show because it's exactly right. There's the nuggets of gold in his word. As you guys always sign the show. You, you gotta dig it. Dig it. Show us your nuggets. God, our creator, lies outside of time and space and matter. I feel like God's be like, hello, McFly. You ain't got it so far, then. There are secret societies think that they are the descendants of the giant. I mean, isn't is this exciting? I mean, you read it, it's like, wow. The Nephilology Roundtable. But these angels were taken to help immediately. Do not pass gold, do not collect $200. You're out of the game. Dirty hands means clean theology. Can you dig it? What's going on, all my local guys and gals? Long distance pals. We're back. We're back. And after talking to Timothy Alberino, we're all smoking cigars today. And <laughs> Oh, yeah. Theophilizing. Something like that. <laughs> that was a great episode. That was unbelievable. He was he was a fun person to talk to and, and really dropped some good knowledge and and you can see how he thinks. I mean he he can break things down in a way that a lot of people it's right there in front of you, but he just breaks it down in a different way and it is it was a really fun and and educational uh, episode. I loved it. And it was just different. You know what I mean? I've heard some people say, you know, yeah, Timothy's great, but when he comes on a show, 
He's got his niche. You know what he's going to talk about Mm-mm. with us? No, it was totally different. Just blew my mind where he went with it. That the Holy Spirit was all over that. No doubt about it. And at one point, he even pulled himself back. He's like, "Guys, I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from." <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Well, Ben, been working real hard this week. Yes, had to work over today. I had to work over. Probably will be Thursday also. But I put my new black back glass in my Jeep. And my 80 chickens finally showed up. <laughs> <laughs> A month later. Finally. <laughs> Were they all alive? Well, mostly. mostly. Yeah, I had one. One, I mean, it just happens. Anybody who, who deals with chickens and stuff, especially through the mail. We had one dead DOA, dead on arrival. Then one didn't make it through the night. And then a third one died like two days in. But I think I think it got, it was towards the back in the corner where all the heat lamps were, and I think it might just got trampled by all of them. That happens. Actually, we had our first one hatched too, but it wasn't me that hatched it. Our turkey hatched it. It was sitting on eggs and it hatched a chicken because the chickens were laying eggs under the turkeys. It's going to be following that turkey around like it's mama. That is funny. We've got, I think, 10 days on the um, Delawares that we're hatching down in the basement. Ours about the same. And then, uh, which we have them five that Mm -hmm. made it through the first hatch, our first hatch ever, so. It's a process. It's a learning curve. Yeah. Well, like I was telling you, I think that machine got unplugged somehow, them jumping around in there. But even then, sometimes it just. It's all right. There's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I'm about to move them five outside, get everything cleaned up for the the newbies. And where the weather's warming up, I actually got the Mopar out, washed it, Ooh. polished it real good. I saw you. It's shining. I saw you driving it away from uh, the Wally World the other day. Did it blind you? It did. It was it was it was sparkly. It was yeah. shiny. It was I washed it and then I polished it in Walmart parking lot after I got done shopping. In the parking lot? Yeah, because I'm one of those men that I have like all these different ceramic sprays and towels and I don't want to tie up the the wash house for an hour, so I'll spray it off. Take it down the and road then, and dry it off, and then I got all them water spots, and I just polish them all off. Gotcha. So I'm being considerate of other people. Gotcha. He spends the money on the spot-free rinse, you know. See, I have to because I got that ceramic coating. Right. I can't oh, use brushes and stuff up. on it. Yeah. yeah. I spend mine on chickens. What do you think? Think I should do the Jeep with it? It would help. <laughs> Go beat it through the woods. <laughs> I think you need to spend, I, it, need it to spend more on your Jeep. It protects the paint. So yeah. like when you do get scratches and stuff, it, it scratches the coating instead of the paint. I, I don't I don't think the wife would go for that. No. Maybe the silver one, but not Stonewall. I've done the six Yeah. Steve calls it the six million dollar Jeep. We're only halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh for those that's uh, been following us at the time of this recording, you know we're in the middle of transitioning to video. We got the YouTube channel up, uh, got some GoPros, uh, 
you'd like to you know support the show and help us do that we do got a, a gofundme going uh katie mcneil good friend of the show she donated and we actually got two more gopros with that money so thank you katie they will be here thursday so we'll have all of our mugs on some video coming up here real soon we're excited about that well they might not be but we are <laughs> yeah we want to see ourselves <laughs> as long as you don't break yours well i mean only, it is what it is the only thing is you're probably the only one that could fix it <laughs> well but uh this week's episode we're going to dive into uh the parables of jesus we're going to go through uh certain ones we've picked out just have some discussion on them and what our interpretations are and what a parable is so it should be really really interesting agreed well uh whose turn is it to pray i can't keep up yes it's mine go ahead dear lord thank you for the day thank you for this time of fellowship lord please have this message reach people it needs to read please give us all discernment lord and uh Jesus' name, amen. 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 But I was telling Stephen, like pre-roll, uh, I was just listening to the podcast and stuff at work, and you know, I just got like a shuffle going on, and I went back uh, to the very first episode of to the Naked Bible podcast and listened from the very beginning and went through, and just like maybe two days ago or something like that, uh, an episode came up of Dr. Michael Heiser's about parables. And I was like, how cool, we're scheduled to talk about that. So I just listened to it, and he, you know, just, when he first started, they were just like 30-minute episodes. You know, they were just little tidbits, and he was talking about, you know, what a parable was and breaking it down and stuff like that. He didn't really take apart any parables. He just, you know, talked about the different genres, you know, different books, how you got, you know, war stories, and you got parables and all these different kind of things. And he was just breaking down what those are and genres and books of the know of the bible but on this one he was talking about a parable and i thought it was really interesting you know he said the the most basic explanation of a parable is a short story with two levels of meaning a literalistic one a surface or obvious meaning to the story then there's a more abstract or hidden meaning or theological meaning especially when it comes to the new testament you know so there's usually he said there's at least two interpretations to a parable, but there can be up to like 10. And I thought that was cool how he talked about that and how us as modern readers, we shouldn't put our modern spin on things. And if we do try to have an interpretation, we have to make sure that it's relevant to the people whom the parable was spoken to. And I thought that was pretty cool. I think it's really important. <clears throat> the, um, the same thing we talk about a lot of different times is that we have to read this through the the um, the eyes of the people at that time, the way that they would have understood it, the, the through their culture, through you know religiously what they believed, um, and and to, you know just be able to because a lot of it wouldn't make sense if you didn't or or you don't get the full picture if you don't look at it through the eyes, and this is you know this is first century right this is jesus alive this is first century ad um you know this is the parables that were used were used um also by pharisees they were used uh 
you know, uh, to illustrate, you know, the meanings of the Mosaic law of the old Testament and, and things of that nature. Um, but Jesus kind of changed the game on that a little bit because where the Pharisees would use it as, as kind of like, you know, a, a, a revel or I should say, how did this illustrate a previous revelation? He used them to give a new revelation where he's talking about the, you know, not only his coming, his being there, but then also how we're supposed to live going forward as well. And actually, like you, he said, Heiser, actually, I, I have a great resource on this that if anybody's listening, I pulled a lot from this. It's a study guide by R.C. Sproul, uh, just called The Parables of Jesus. And it is, it's really in-depth. It's really good. There's a lot of... Um, you know, it goes into some of the Greek and, and, and things of that nature at the time. So you can kind of get more of an understanding. And it also has um, just, it gives you a little bit of the history. So you understand, like, like we were saying, from that point of view, uh, from that first century Jew point of view, how would they have seen this? How would they have interpreted this when this was said to them? What did it mean to them? And one thing I never really thought about is he talked about when we hear parables, we automatically, we, at least I do, think of New Testament, and I think of Jesus, you know. But he said, you know, there's lots, you know, of debate and interpretation, but the scholars, you know, tend to agree there's at least seven parables in the Old Testament. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, like you said, you know, there is some debate back and forth, but the scholarly people can agree there's at least seven. But one question, you know, he asked that I thought was very interesting was, do parables reveal truths or conceal truths? And he was saying that a lot of uh, scholars believe that it, you know, reveals truth. He's teaching, you know, and that's something that, you know, I'd always thought. But then he brought up Mark chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And it said, To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand. At least they should turn and be forgiven. You know, and this is after he's been teaching and telling the parables, and he went back with his disciples in private, and they were asking him about the parables, and that was his response. You know, and I think of that verse that we use in the intro to our show. You know, it's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And the, I have the Faith Life Bible study, and in the notes it said, the word secret in verse 11 is the Greek term for mysterion, referring to the hidden or unexpected nature of God's work. You know, they may see but not perceive in verse 12. You know, one purpose of his parables is to reveal the true meaning of God's kingdom only to those who receive it in faith. You know, it goes on to tell the parable of the sower and the different responses to the same message. You know, once again, it's a, a situation of the heart. And if you are prepared to receive the the truth or the knowledge of the message yeah no it <clears throat> makes a lot of sense i actually think kind of sticking with that same thing the the greek when it comes to the word uh, to the word that uh you know we use the english word parable but the greek it comes from uh parabole 
or something to that effect. But uh, the prefix para describes something that functions alongside something else, like, like uh, uh, you know, parallel, right, along with something. Um, the word bole on the end refers to something that's thrown or hurled. So a parable, you know, the word parable then means is thrown alongside other teachings in order to illustrate a concept or clarify a meaning. But to the same point that you said, I think it's important that when we look at historically, you know, when, when certain, you know, we can talk about the parables, but you can look at different parts throughout the Bible when God does some miraculous thing or some wonder, you know, like as in Egypt, we said that, you know, Pharaoh's heart's hardened. He doesn't listen. And then, you know, but the other, you know, the eventually you see what happens and the Israelites are freed and, you know, all the, everything with the Red Sea happens, everything. But with parables, some people, some people have the ability, you know, they, or God gives them the, the ears to hear, right? Or we, we are in the right place with God that we can understand something. And there's other people that don't have that ability, that, that they might hear the exact same thing. And to them, it means nothing. Or to them, it's, it's in like the case of the Pharisees we were talking about earlier, they take it, you know, as, as, as an attack, which in some cases it was. But I think it's important. It says, and this is in part from that R.C. Sproul, it says, to those who have ears he, to hear, parables bring a deeper understanding of the things of God. To those who do not have ears to hear, parables are instruments of concealing and obscuring the mystery of the kingdom of God. And I think that was a, another good way of putting it that kind of, once again, parallels uh, you know, Heiser's view on that as well, which I think is really interesting. Which one thing I thought was cool when I was looking through my notes was when he was giving them that, you know, powwow after the the teachings you know when they were asking him what the parables mean and he said that quote you know in mark chapter four uh the faith life uh study bible note says that jesus there is paraphrasing isaiah chapter six verse nine through ten where god asked the prophet to allow the people to continue on the path of disobedience that they had previously selected and i thought of that when you was mentioning the the hardening hardening of pharaoh's heart so as long as the same things there, they weren't prepared to hear the message or hear the truth. So God hardened their, their ears, basically. That way they would have to go through whatever trials, tribulations, or hardships that they had chosen. And that even applies for today. You know, you go, you go down a certain road and you got people, you know, say you have some friends that's, Hey, hey, man, you need to come to church. And then you come to church and you just get blasted. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. Pretty much, you could either take it two ways, right? You could be like, man, he's right. I need to change. Or you're going to get pissed off. Get butt hurt and go home yeah. and never come back. That's right. <laughs> and it's it's to the same effect, you yeah. know. Well, I guess uh, let's start dissecting some and talking about some. Uh, Steve, you want to start out what? What parable do you want to take a deep dive in? Well, we'll start with probably my favorite um, <clears throat> and one that all you guys, if, if, if you've heard this at all or ever went to Sunday school, I guarantee you heard this one. And I don't think that we get a, um, a proper view and that maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just, you know, the, the way we're, we're taught as a, as a, 
when we're younger, when we're children, but the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think, is um, a lot more complex and really people have, have you know, if you, unless you really dive into it, and once again, you look at it from the point of view of the people of which it was written to at that time. Think, put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jewish individual um, or Samaritan individual at that time, too. And I think a big part of it would be <clears throat> you got to think about the, well, I, I guess I'll get into that part in a minute. I'm going to read the parable first, and this is Luke 10, 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him, putting him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus, re <clears throat> Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he, when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I just, that is, to me, it's the way, and I mean, obviously Jesus is God, but the way that he was always able to confront the people that tested him was, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're in an argument with somebody, sometimes you always feel like you have to get the last word. Jesus always got the last word without, with still living, you know, a, a Christian lifestyle. He got it and was able to get his point across. But I think there's a few things that are really important. And first to start with, we have to look at who asked him the question. It was a lawyer, right? And then what does Jesus do? Well, what's the lawyer going to know? He's going to know the law. So Jesus says, what's written in the law? So first of all, the lawyer is not really seeking, you know, that wisdom, right? He's testing Jesus. He's being very facetious. But because he's a lawyer, Jesus asked him what the law said. <clears throat> but truly under, but this is the thing, and this is what we've talked about a lot, is the law, and you, you heard what the law said right there, right? Those two things, love the Lord your God and love, the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. But it says, by truly understanding the law, he should understand that it is impossible to work his way into heaven. The law was put there as a stumbling block, right? It's there to show you that you're imperfect, that you need God, that Jesus needed to come. So 
first of all, he should have known that part right there, but it, it's one of those things that... It's pre-revelation, it, too. It is, and it's one of those things where he did not have the ears to hear at yes. that point. So um, Jesus told him to obey the law by loving. He asked who his neighbor was, and this is what's really important is first century Jews really just define their neighbor as only fellow Jews who lived the righteous lifestyle. They didn't think of anybody could be their neighbor. Well, no, anybody who was Jewish, Jewish. I'm just saying they didn't see it that way. They did not see it that way. Right. Yeah. It was exclusive club. Right. So, and you'll probably have more to say on this too, but the, the other part of this that's really important is you see, there was three different individuals that came down the road and we see first a priest comes down the road and we've gone into this and we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about sacrifices and what was really important, what the sacrifices were for was for, for purity. Because if you touched a dead body, you were deemed impure. If you touched blood, you were deemed impure. All those things caused impurity. And rather than helping somebody, rather than going through the, the, all the different things that he would have to do to mate, to, to go back to his station, right? He needed to go through and, um, and, and rather walk around this man rather than go and actually say, Hey, you know, let me help him. I'll go through the rituals and the, the, the to, to purify myself and things. But no, rather than go through the, the hassle of that, he left someone to die. He didn't know for sure if he was dead or not, but he didn't even go and check. So, that's the first thing. Then a Levite, which also a Levite is, you know, that's also the, the, the godly tribe or the tribe that was set aside as priests as well. So they would have had to go through the same uh, rituals and things. You know, anybody Jewish would have had to go through the same purification rituals, but they would have had, he as a Levite, he would have been, you know, set apart see, to do. And they seen himself as, as superior too because of who they were. Of, well, yeah. Yeah. And and his work as a Levite, your your work was act, acts of mercy, and instead he was willing to just let that guy die. And on top of that, you got to remember this guy that's mugged. This is a Jewish man, right? This is a Jewish man that's robbed. So far, a Jewish priest and a, and a Levite have walked by and left their 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 fellow countrymen, their their fellow compatriot, just to die. Lastly is a Samaritan, and I think that we have to talk a little bit about the relationship there, and I think, which is really cool, because when, and I said this earlier, I said, you know, when I first was taught this, the good Samaritan, I always just thought when it was the good Samaritan just meant, hey, you were a good guy. You know, that's, that's a Samaritan must mean you're just a, a good person. But, Samaritan's purse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, that's how I always interpreted that. And I always thought, and but then, you know, when you, when you, if you don't look at it from that first century and even even today over there that you would, you know, if you were over in Israel, this would still be very, very common. Not this is very common knowledge. Um, but for us that, that are reading this from outside that region, from outside that culture, we it's something that's beyond us. It's really important that we understand that, though. But <clears throat> first century Jews and Samaritans would not have considered themselves neighbors for that exact reason. They, they had a lot of disdain for each other. There was um, a lot of bad blood for generations. When uh, Israel was originally taken into captivity by the Assyrians, the area was settled by um, 
foreign peoples when when ba- uh, Babylon took uh, most of Judea and they took most of Judea the the uh, into captivity the remaining people that didn't go into captivity ended up intermarrying with um, the surrounding the, the pagan tribes some people believe that those were kind of put there as colonizers by the Babylonians um, that yeah. Go ahead. Kind of like the whole, uh, if we can't beat you, we'll breed you out kind of thing. To some degree. Basically, they take their people and they're defiling their land. Right. Right. So they let them. Theology, their religion, everything. What they did. And they still technically, technically um, feared Yahweh, feared the God of Israel. But what they did is they brought pagan gods and cultures and also worshiped them. And it gets to a point where actually even lions come and. And uh, start just killing people. Uh, it's just one of those things that they have to even send a, a priest in. Um, the the king of Assyria sends a priest back to teach them just to follow the God of Yahweh, so that the lions stop eating them. So I mean, that's it's. And their law, you know, specifically forbid them to take wives and stuff from other nations because, you know, God knew that that their yoke was not evenly matched. That you could sway the other one in their cultures and beliefs and stuff like that. That's even today also. Yeah. So you had said that uh, those were the Samaritans, or the that was that's who ended up being, that's who became, I guess, the Samaritans yep. at that time. The right? offspring so, of those unions. Of those unions. So even when the Judea is released um, from captivity and they're going back to their homeland, there's animosity between the two. First of all, uh, the intermarrying and, and things of that nature. Um, and a couple things that I've read, and this is something that I'd have to clarify further. A couple things I've read said that there was just hostility straight away from the Samaritans with the Jews. And there's, there's an, there's something else that I read that said that the um, Samaritans actually tried to help the Jews rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, but the Jews, uh, didn't, um, I guess, uh, didn't let them cause they were them unclean they, and bastards, yes. you know, so yeah. they, they wouldn't allow them back in there. To the point where they actually even came and threw bones on Pentecost in the temple to defile the temple. And it ultimately led to the Samaritans uh, uh, building a temple at Mount uh, Gerizim um, instead of Jerusalem. So they actually worshipped in two different places. On top of that, you still think the Samaritans had those pagan gods. And actually they have the, the Pentateuch, right, is the the thing, the only thing they believe is scripture is that first five books of the Bible. So that that's where it it stays that's it so uh, there has been bad blood for centuries after that they would um totally totally avoid each other actually i found a couple interesting little and that brings a whole lot of context to the story so it does it's a big deal right i got a couple other little because they're they're practically enemies the jews even would call the samaritans a herd not a nation just like they were calling them farm animals. A widely used Jewish proverb stated that a piece of bread given by a Samaritan was more unclean than a swine's flesh. I mean, the, the hatred there is real. This is like, this right. This is on par with, with uh, uh, Ukraine and Russia, how much they hate each other right now. It'd be like 9-11. Well, Jesus, even to the Samaritan woman, compared her to a dog. You remember, mm-hmm. you know, and she said, well, even the dog gets the scraps from the master's table. 
You know, it's like Jesus said that as like a test to see how she would react, and she reacted good. And then, you know, he blessed her and stuff after that and healed her. Wasn't that the same woman he said, by your faith you've been healed? Right. Or was that a different one? Well, he did say that because all she did was, you talking about the one that was bleeding? I can't remember, but I just do remember a Samaritan woman came to him, and then he pretty much called her a dog. And then she said, well, even the dog gets to eat from the master's table, you know, and then he seen she responded well, and whatever she was needing or wanting from him, he gave to her. And I might be conflating two stories here. Right. I but, think you're putting well, two together. There's, yeah, because okay. there's this a bunch is, of stories. Yeah, this there's is similar the, ones. The woman at the well, I think, that we're talking about when he goes through Samaria that way. Right. And that's actually that's that's another really good scene that's depicted in that chosen show that right. they talk about. Yeah. And I think that show does a good job showing how much the disdain they had for each other because we don't get that picture. Yeah, because she's like, Why do you want me to get you a cup of water? Wouldn't that make you unclean? And when you're talking about the uh doing the ceremonies to to cleanse themselves, I don't know if you've made it that far through chosen yet. Are you caught up yet? No. Well, ruin it for me, man. Well, there's a uh, the section. It, I think it's the third season. The uh, the woman who bleeds, who's unclean, couldn't eat with her family or anything. Um, which she's the one that just touched his garment. You know, he's like, oh, you know, well, who was that? And they're like, what do you mean, who's that? There's everybody, <laughs> everybody's shoving against you. He's like, no. No, I felt, and uh, and I just went blank. He felt her he faith. Fe- he felt well, the well, power he felt the faith, leader. yeah. But but the priest, okay, that's what it was. The priests were like, "She's unclean. You have to do this and this and this, and go go to the whatever sea they were by." It's kind of the same thing, like what you were talking about earlier about the whole dude help the guy out. Do whatever you have to do, but you, you you might just saved his life. Who cares if you have to do whatever ritual they would have to do and blah blah blah. It's it's well, it's I mean it was a big deal to them at that time. That's how much you know those rituals and all those different things played into that culture and the the how seriously they took those things to a fault. I mean in in, in that regard, but well, to a fault. Right, but like what we're saying, the ritual, who cares? You know, do do your thing, whatever you have to do, but was that worth someone's it's, life? It, it, well, and it's easy, and once again, easy for us to say. Obviously, it's not. Obviously, Jesus was condemning it, but at the same time, it is easy for us to say because we don't live in that culture at that time how it would have been viewed. It would have been, it, it was, you did not want to become defiled. You weren't allowed in the sanctuary. You weren't around, you know, allowed to be, you know, the biggest part of their culture was going to the temple. And then, boom, you weren't allowed to go until you went through all the purification uh, purification rituals that were from, um, I think it was seven days, and then certain sacrifices had to be uh, made. And it's just not saying it's right. Right. Because it wasn't, obviously. It wasn't, but it was what, it was how it was uh, viewed. But um, kind of going a little further, I think, when we you were talking about that, when we were talking about Jesus, you know, asking the woman uh, for a drink of water, Jesus, it's something that Jews wouldn't normally do was walk into Samaria. 
You wouldn't walk into oh, the no, heart they would, of yeah, no. Samaritan country. And Jesus did it willingly. You know, he went in there and he did it. Not only did he do it and show himself and, and, and heal people and save people in Samaria, but he did it with his disciples to show them. I mean, it was a, it was a, a start to show them anyway. And that story, I looked it up. It was Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 27. And it was a, a woman begging for her child to be healed. And he referred to her as a dog, and she made the comment about even the dogs get fed the crumbs from the master's table, and then he healed the daughter because of her faith. I did conflate two stories there. So going a little further, I think it's important when we said Jesus went through there, and then if you look and you go into Acts, it talks about the apostles you know, in Acts, what was it, Acts eight twenty five? it says, So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they turned back towards Jerusalem and were proclaiming the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. So they're following in Jesus' footsteps, the apostles at this point. Guess what? We're all apostles. That's on us now. It's the same thing. You're seeing that kind of come through uh, as this all kind of pans out all right i know i'm a little off track we're bouncing back now when we get to the good samaritan when he comes through you see that first of all that jewish man was traveling from jerusalem to jericho it's roughly 17 miles it was known it was real desolate and rocky uh it was known as the bloody way bloody way yeah, because you, people were robbed and murdered there all the time from jericho to damascus and it was a popular popular uh, trade route uh, tra trade route a lot of merchants using that between the cities um, but so you got the man attacked left for dead priest passes levite passes the samaritan comes along we've already established there's bad blood between the jews and the samaritans but jesus has proven a point here what's the first thing that comes up what's the first thing it says he had compassion i think that's really important because we'll see that again We'll see that reoccurring theme show up uh, in at least one other parable here in a little bit. But his compassion led to him helping the man. He bandaged his wounds. He put him on his own horse. He took the man to an inn, went out of the way, spending time to take care of him and then paying for him uh, to make sure and then saying anything else I'll take care of when I come back through. You see this compassion for his fellow man. Right. We're talking going back to the original question from the lawyer. Who is my neighbor? Right. This is this is a big point of this. We're showing even people that you detest are your neighbor. They are even if you do not follow their their ideologies, their their um, their creeds, their whatever their their background is, whatever. If <laughs> I mean, Democrat. What, whatever <laughs> there is, what, man, you keep doing this to me, whatever this is. So when you get to the point, even your you enemy, your enemy is your neighbor, people that you totally disagree with, that you have no common ground with, they're still your neighbor. God calls us to have compassion on our fellow man, right? You got to remember every human is created in the image of God. Every human is created in the image of God. Each of those are our neighbor. Each of those are our neighbor. 
it shows that our neighbor is everybody regardless of ethnicity or geographical location. It does not matter. And that takes me to exactly what Jesus said or what the lawyer said to Jesus' question. But Matthew twenty two thirty six through 40, it says, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The greatest of these, I'm sorry, this is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Christians are not meant to condemn those who are falling away from God, but to help them and bring them closer to God to be our witness. And the most damning thing about this is what he says at the end. And this is, this is the part where you can see it for that first century Jew, but you can see it for us. Go and do likewise. And I think that's such an important part of this. After you see the hatred between the two peoples, and yet that's our calling is to go and help. Go be that, that spiritual intermediary that that person that reaches out to everybody that is everybody's regardless of ethnicity geographical location any other differences you have with somebody they're still our neighbor go and do likewise yeah and i think like the hebrew roots movement people you know that that focus so much on the law following the law to please the lord i mean if this is what Jesus was talking about, the two greatest commandments. You know, you're to command to love the Lord and love your neighbor. Those are the ones that's important because this is basically, you know, like you said, a lawyer, somebody that knew the law front and back, and he had his priorities mixed up. But I didn't realize this. I'm always putting notes and stuff in here, and I didn't know which parables, you know, you were going to do. You know, we just kind of just studied our own thing and come together here and just let the Holy Spirit lead it. But I had uh, interpretation notes from Spurgeon on this. And uh, Spurgeon really broke this down. Uh, so like in verse 30, Jesus replied, Amen, Adam. You know, because we talked about, you know, parables can have multiple meanings. So Spurgeon is saying that the man is symbolized by Adam. You know, humanity, mankind, you know, was going down. You know, Jericho was to the east. It was down in elevation. Jericho is 3,300 feet lower than Jerusalem. You know, that's an amazing drop for only a 15-mile difference. So it was literally, you know, going down, you know, to Jerusalem. You know, this is the starting point, paradise. Adam was in paradise. And he went down to Jericho. You know, this is the world. And fell among robbers. You know, hostile influences and enemies. You know, who was stripped. They stripped him and beat him. You know, the wounds are symbolic for sin. And it says, now by chance a priest. The law. This is, you know, symbolically the law was going down and said so likewise a Levite you know this is the prophets and it says but 
a Samaritan. This is Christ. Then it goes on down to verse 34. You know, then he set him on his own animal. You know, the, the body of Christ. And then he brought him to an inn, the church. Uh, gave him a denarii and gave them to the, the innkeeper, the guardian angels. And he says, and I will repay when I come back. You know, this is the second coming of Christ when he came and paid for all our sins with his blood. So I thought that was pretty cool how Spurgeon broke down all those little uh, symbology in that parable. Mm-hmm. And I forgot I even put that in there. I like Spurgeon. I like a lot of Spurgeon. But um, that and this, I, I can't, I, and this goes way beyond just the Good Samaritan, but that R.C. Sproul book of the, the parables of Jesus is excellent. So uh, there's so much, I mean, and we've only scratched the surface so far with one of these. And we got 37 more to go. So, no, I'm just kidding. But. My name's Nick. I'm the owner of Kevlar Joe's and I'm the roaster. I'm an Air Force Security Forces veteran, a dad to three wild boys, and a husband to my wife, Crystal, and a coffee enthusiast. From a family in a small town in Missouri, we started with the simple idea of crafting a perfectly bold cup of coffee. Inspired by wellness and countless pots of stale coffee while deployed, we wanted to craft a bold, clean, and smooth coffee. So we did. And we realized we wanted to share this coffee with our friends. Lord knows we could all use a good cup of coffee right about now. From the farm to your coffee cup, there's nothing like a good, well-crafted, and bold cup of coffee. No matter what time of the day, it's there to pick you up, motivate you, and relax you. We hope you enjoy our coffee. Be bold, be humble, be Kevlar. And you can find Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company anytime you want at www.kevlarjoe.com. And for listeners of the Dig Bible Podcast, use the code, all caps, DIG20, whenever you're checking out to get a 20% off discount. Enjoy. Yeah, so these are deep. You know what I mean? You, You can go many different ways with it many different interpretations and like we said these things can have multiple meanings and you know even Mike Kaiser said some of them can go up to you know 10 different meanings as long as we keep it in context of the the original audience we can't go wrong and if you have ears to hear right God will use it and he'll he'll speak to you through these things that's that was the whole intention of this is that if you had ears to hear there was a message for you in that and it might be that you know when we listen to these things and we've talked about this before we can read the bible's the only living book there is and that that you can read the bible over and over again and it just keeps something keeps popping out at you something different all the time it goes the same for these parables what it says to you might be a little different than me and that might just be the meaning that god needs you to hear and i think that's really important to always think about that don't always take somebody else's word for it read it See what God's telling you. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. So you have to look out for your own. Help help your fellow your fellow man. You are your brother's keeper. Which the one I wanted to break down was uh the parable of the prodigal son. 
you know, and I, I jokingly said to people all the time that this is my story. You know, I was the the wayward son that came back smelling like hog crap and was accepted back. But, you know, so I guess I'll just go into that for those that are not familiar. But this is in Luke chapter 15, starts in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost and now found. You know, there's multiple meanings with the parable. There's a lot in the parable. Yes. You know, and the first one that's obvious that stands out to you is uh, forgiveness of sins, your heavenly father even though you go astray and roll with the pigs and, and surround yourself in sin and disobey and do all these things to not deserve the love and forgiveness of God, God, just like the Father in this parable, freely gives it to, 
the undeserving son. And he's sitting there at the fence waiting for you to come back. It's not like he's in the back room doing whatever. He's missing you. anticipating you to come back. He's waiting. But uh, with the deeper meaning with this, and I'd say there's, you know, a lot of people that's in this circle you know probably already aware of this but i'm sure there's some that that's not and when i discovered it made these connections it really kind of blew my mind you know that uh and i'll just break this down like verse 12 it says you know father give me the share of property that is coming to me you know him being the younger son in this situation he only got one third so that's you know 33.3 percent and this is per you know deuteronomy 21 verse 17 that would make the elder son's percentage 66.6. So there's some symbology right there with that. It says, and he divided his property between them. You know, here I believe he's referring to Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, where he says the peoples, a.k.a. the nations, were divided amongst the sons of God as what? Their inheritance, right? So when you go down, you know, he took a journey into a far country. You know, Adam was kicked out of Eden. You know, so he's referring to humanity. Uh, he squandered his property with uh, reckless living. And he mentions, you know, prostitutes. He squandered it on prostitutes. You know, we traded our dominion to our brother just as Esau did. Paul said that we traded the truth for a lie and worshiped the created things instead of the creator in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. You know, verse 15, it says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. You know, they went into exile many times to Assyria and Babylon. These Gentile people were often compared to filthy pigs. You know, you go down to verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your hired servant. You know, no longer worthy to be called a son of God. You know, so he just he just wants to be a servant because he's no he's lost. He's not worthy for his forgiveness. Yeah, he's not worthy to be called right. a, a son of God anymore. Right. You know, a Beneha Elohim. You know, verse twenty-two. But the father said to his servants, "Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him." Bring a ring, put it on his hand, shoes for his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and we'll eat and celebrate. You know, he's dressed in clean robes. You know, that's, a, a, that's symbolizing forgiveness. You know, it says put a ring on his hand. That's a signet, a mark placed upon him. It's like a king's ring. Yes, he's exalted back to his former status. And a huge feast and celebration is ordered. You know, just like we see, you know, the theme in Revelation, the, the celebration banquet. You know, and then you get down here to verse 29. It says, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So the brothers clearly upset the elder brother. You know, with this, you know, symbology, the elder brother is the angelic race. You know, the ones who witnessed the sight of creation, you know, recorded in the book of Job. They became jealous because they seen the love that the Father had for us. And we kept messing up and he kept forgiving us. And clearly the, the angels that sinned in Genesis 6 had no forgiveness. That's what I was about to say. And they if were, you 
look at the following ones. There wasn't nothing, none there to give. And what I thought was interesting too is verse 30. It says, you know, when he's talking to his father, you know, you not give me a fattened calf. And he says, but when this son of yours came, the elder brother disowns him, not calling him his brother. You know, the father's already accepted him back into the family. This is essentially the elder brother leaving the family. He's no longer saying this is my brother. He said, your son. You know, and then when it talks about, you know, he wasted his uh, inheritance on prostitutes. You know, prostitutes, whores, adulterers. These are all things that the prophets called Israel for going after other gods. So to me, once I started making all those connections, it's, you know, the elder brother is the angelic race. You know, the dividing of the land, Deuteronomy 32, amongst the sons of God, because it was their inheritance. And this situation, you know, Deuteronomy law says the youngest only gets one-third, 33.3%, while the elder brother gets 66.6%. It's pretty crazy, all that stuff packed into that parable there. 100%. I think I I love that interpretation and that's something that I've never thought about until more recently with some of the people we've talked to and you know I've always thought of it in a much more simplistic way but I do believe that this is one of those multi-layered um, parables that was speaking to multiple uh, ends because I, I think you can also look at this as the older brother potentially being the Pharisees the teachers of the law right mm-hmm. so we see not only are, are they, you know, th- saying, hey, we've always followed the law. We've always done exactly what you said. We've always done all these things. I'm not, I'm not associating myself with those sinners. It goes right back to the Good Samaritan thing. I'm going to walk on the other side of the road, not deal with this guy over here. Maybe he deserved that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, he, you know, those are, that he, had, he got what was coming to him. But because they always felt like they followed the law, they felt they were above everybody. That, yep. that Jesus, when he's forgiving these people, and, and, and cleansing these people. They didn't deserve it. What are you doing for me, Jesus? Because, and that's what kind of separates them there too. So I think that's one of those multi-layered, because I think you can kind of have those Pharisees fall in that same way, because no, it I also agree. says teachers of the law, um, you know, or teachers of, I should say, anybody who's witnessing, uh, you know, and, and is someone who should be scripturally based and, and, and is preaching to people is going to be held to a higher standard when we get upstairs, those they'll be judged that much harder because they could have led people away. And the Pharisees did not all. I mean, it's one of those things. They stuck to their law. They saw the writing on the wall that, that, whoa, this Jesus is amazing, but I'm pretty comfortable with my life. I like being kind of the cream of the crop and uh, having everything I want and not associating with, the younger brother in that case being the, the, the common everyday sinner. And that could also throw into not just the Pharisees and all that themselves, but the Jewish people versus the rest of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many applications. Oh, 100%. That. Yeah. I'd say that would reach to the 10. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Do you got a parable you want to look at, Ben? Lord, how often will my brother sin against me 
and and I forgive him, as many as seven? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and, I'll, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of the debt. But, but when the same servant went out, he found a fellow, or one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seized him, and began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had, what had taken place, they were great, greatly distressed, and they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you of all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not, or, and should not you have had mercy with your fellow servant who had, as I had mercy on you? <clears throat> and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So that's a lot. I mean, God forgave of, forgave us, Jesus forgave us of our sins, so therefore... Someone who, you know, pisses us off or, or does steals from us, does us wrong, you know, um, we should do the same. I mean, obviously that's hard to do. And it that even reminds me of, uh, I can't remember if it was in his book. Don't be shocked. I read a book. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> We're or, picking our jaws up now. Yeah, yeah. Or if it was, uh, <laughs> I don't think it was on Duck Dynasty, but um, Phil Robinson. It might have been one of his little YouTube where he was preaching. But I remember him talking about he go. You know, if he, any of y'all who know who Phil Robinson and Duck Dynasty is, they're they're duck hunters and they like to do things for the ones who's in other countries don't don't quite know who he is but they pretty much live he lives off the land as much as he can yeah, the right? country boys yeah so uh he was talking about he was going out in the because they're in louisiana louisiana swamp checking all his traps and uh he noticed that people's been you know his lines be cut and everything someone was stealing from him so 
obviously, I'm sure he was a little peed off, you know. So he went and found him. Caught, you know, he, he actually caught the guy in, in the act. And he told him, he says, why are you stealing from me? And, and the guy's like, man, you know, I don't know. I, you're right. I'm wrong. He said, look, you keep the fish or whatever it was he was, you know, catching. I'm assuming fish. You keep the fish, and if you need any more, you come see me, and I'll give you all you need. He said he's never had nothing stole from him again. But that was the whole thing, you know. I mean, I guess he could have put him in jail, you know. But you, you can't you can't do that to people, you know, which obviously someone's stealing from you. But, you know, I just... That come to mind reading that. So, well, you think about it. We were, we've been forgiven the ultimate debt of our sin. That's just, it's exactly what you're talking about. And and so, anything that's stolen from us in our lifetime can never equate to that. Can never be on that same oh, no. level. Yeah, because this is a salvation parable. You know, our sin debt. You know, it says the wages of sin is death. You know, we deserve death. That's what that's what our payment is. And just like this guy, we. We could never pay that debt, so it, it's settled for us, you know, and we should be uh, thankful for that and mindful of that. And and what I thought was funny was we were talking before the show. Uh, I heard, uh, I believe it's Mike Kaiser, when they got to verse 26, you know, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. That the people of that time hearing that would have probably burst out in laughter. Because this was millions and millions of dollars by today's standards. I'm you looking know, it up right now. He could have had all the time in the world, and he wouldn't have repaid that. Okay, so one talent would be equal to 6,000 denarii. So one of the sources I read from said that 10,000 talents would have been over 10 times the amount of King Herod's annual revenue. So... The king at the time, who would have been the most wealthy person in that region, and it would have taken it would ten times over ten times his annual revenue. Yeah, ten years of him not spending a dime of his money to pay this debt. That's in, I mean, it's unbelievable. And it's I think it's speaking to the Pharisees too, because the Pharisees, by you know, they earn their salvation by their works. By being obedient to the law, they're paying for their salvation. And this is what it, you know, they're alluding with this story is, you know, no, you can't follow the law perfectly, so therefore you're going to fail anyway. But even if you could follow the law perfectly, you're not going to live long enough to pay this debt, buddy. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, if if that's the debt, there's no, there's no way. So I think a couple things when we talk about that, pretty important. First of all, um, when you look at this in the beginning, we got let's go back to the beginning of the parable. Peter's asking, how many times do I forgive my neighbor, right? Seven? It, and Jesus says, no, 77. It means, you know, 70 was, you know, symbolic for all. Mm-hmm. So 77 was Jesus is saying infinity plus two. It, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't end. You're always going to forgive your neighbor. And, and I think that's a really important, important part to think about how forgiveness should not be taken lightly 
right? This is the this is what kind of is happening at this point. This is when God forgives us, he no longer sees that sin. It's separated from us as far as the east is from the west. That sin is forgiven. It's gone. God doesn't keep a record of our wrongs, even though we often do, right? We we can remember so many things that we did wrong. We've We've said, dear Lord, you know, please forgive me. But you know what? Inside, we still remember those things. And on top of that, we remember those things that other people did to us. We keep a little scorecard that says, oh, I don't like that person. They, they done me wrong. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. Look at what God did for us. When we continue to hold sin against someone else, we haven't truly forgiven them. And I don't mean to be sexist, but ladies, you know, you know, your husband mess up, say the wrong thing 10 years ago, and you pull that thing out, you know, 10, 15 years later, you're supposed to be blotting that, that book out there. Have a little grace. I think we're all guilty of that. <laughs> so it would be $6 billion he owed in today's money. Put your pinky in your mouth. <laughs> Six billion dollars. <laughs> I guess I should have so, said like <laughs> Going a little further into the parable, we already said King knew he wouldn't be able to repay the debt. Like you said, he says... Uh, uh, you know, give, have patience. I'll pay you everything. Obviously the King knows he can't do that. The man had one, one Avenue out and that was the King's forgiveness, compassion. It took the King having compassion on him again to forgive that debt. He had the audacity to not have compassion over something so less severe. Yes. So every one of us, you think about this, every one of us that sins, and breaks, you know, uh, God's law, I guess, as we want to put it that way, is we, we become indebted to God at that point. We're in debt. We, we cannot get to heaven on our own, right? That's the thing. That's sin. That's our debt. We can't pay that sin. That's impossible. We can say, God, give me a little more time. I can do it on my own, but I, I'm going to get there. There are... It'd take you 60 million years. Well, we have, we've incurred so much moral debt. One denarii a day. We've incurred so much moral debt, we could never repay it. No. We could never repay it. And I guess that would be if you was completely perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So you're not adding to your debt. It would still take you 60 million years. You're getting half a denarii a day instead of a fool because you're screwing up. (laughs) (laughs) I think... The, I guess the, the moral of the story when we get into this, beside, I mean, obviously the forgiveness being so important and, and, and a part we can't, well, hold on. Let me say this first. When we got to the point and the, the king heard what happened to the first servant, he was thrown in jail until he could pay the debt in full, which we know could never happen. So without God's compassion... Without his forgiveness, we can't pay that moral debt that we have. We're done. That's that's us going to jail is us going to hell. That's exactly what they're saying right there. That's exactly what this parable's talking about. It's saying without that, without God's compassion, without his forgiveness, we're gone. And on top of that, as Christians, God calls us to demonstrate a forgiving spirit as well. Don't hold grudges. Don't keep that little scorecard. Don't bring up someone else's wrongs 
Every time you're like, well, listen, you owe me one because remember when you did this? To, no, that's not how it works. We got to wipe that slate clean just like God does, just like Jesus did, did and does. When someone asks for forgiveness, give it willingly and move forward. And just remember, always remember that God does that for us every day. Every day. He takes the biggest debt in our life and erases it every day. And I think that we can forgive somebody a, a $5 debt, you know, <laughs> on the side if God can forgive that of us. It's amazing, infinity, to be honest. Infinity and two. Infinity plus two. <laughs> it's like that video I shared. How do that, that math? Dr. Jeb Burton shared. He shared it, and then I shared it. But it showed uh, Larry, Curly, and Moe are the three stooges. And uh, one of them pulls out 10 bucks, and he's like, yeah, I, I all I got is 10 bucks. And then uh, one guy's like, you owe me 20. And he's like, well, here, I'll give you 10 later. And then the other one uh, said, well, hey, you owe me 20 bucks. And he's like, well, here, he gives it to him. He's like, I'll give you the other 10 later. And then the guy that originally had the 10 is like, no, now you owe me 20. He's like, oh, well, here's 10, and uh, I'll give you the other 10 later. And, it goes and then, back he around. then he turns back around and he goes, here's the other 10 I owe you. Right. And then he gives it back to the, here's the other 10 I owe you. And then it goes back to the original guy. He's like, okay, everybody's good now. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that. It's pretty funny. It's the banking system today. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you guys owe me 20? No. Oh. Owe you a few cigars. It's all right. I'll bring you monsters. Nah, okay. And then Steve, and Stephen <laughs> brings me Reese cups, so. It's all right. We have our own banking system. Yeah. Uh, I'm not allowed to eat them right now, so. Eat what, Reese's? I'm trying not to. I know. And it's why your hair's tough. going. You know, That's why you're losing you, hair. Well, no, there's a lot of other reasons I'm losing hair. <laughs> but but this is the worst time of year to not eat a Reese's. Because there's nothing better than the Reese's eggs at Easter. It's the perfect mix of it, chocolate. There's well, no wrong way or time. Well, yeah, yeah there is. Reese's. Yeah, there is. Are they a sponsor? <laughs> okay. Okay. This we're, show we're is gonna, brought to you in part. We're gonna, Reese's peanut butter cups. We're gonna we're gonna sidebar no, this. Not. We're gonna sidebar this. All right. <laughs> so you're right. You're right, Steve. So, like in Halloween, you got the you got the pumpkins. Easter, you got the eggs. Christmas, you got the Christmas trees. Yep. That is the perfect Reese cup. Mm-hmm. But then they go messing it up with pretzels and daggone. Well, the Reese Piecey one's not too bad. I actually like the pretzel one. Do you? Uh, I do. But anyhow, I like the, sidebar. The sweet and salty. Sidebar. Is good. You think we ought to? I think we need to. We need to get them all we, in we a need, row. We and, need to and call Reese's and see if they'll sponsor it. No. Now. <laughs> we need we'll to get tell them all this, in this a row. This one will be on them and try them all. This one will be free, and then we need a three D, uh, the Dig logo Reese's. There you go. Oh. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So everybody uh, dissected that I, that one. I, are we ready to move on? I think we can move on. All right, last one. Uh, and I wanted to. This kind of goes hand in hand with the the prodigal son. Is the uh, parable of the tenants, and it's in Mark chapter twelve, starting in verse one. It says, "And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, and put a fence around it, and dug a pit." For the wine press, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. 
When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some fruit from the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. So, with many others, some they beat, some they killed, and he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in your eyes. So, with this you know, parable, you obviously think of uh, humanity. You know, we were given this vineyard which is earth and we were to be stewards of it you know and we're supposed to give our first fruits and first offerings you know to god and you know we screwed it up Mm -hmm. and uh even with the levitical priesthood you know we're to give a a tenth you know to the the priesthood and so those are the the obvious connections that we have but and of course, you know, when you think of, you know, the only son, you think of, of Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and when he came, he came to, you know, get what was rightfully the fathers and, and you know, the, the, the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they killed him. But like we talked about, you know, these, these parables have, you know, m- multiple layers and, you know, multifaceted approaches to them. And one, since doing these studies that we've been doing, I connect it once again, just like the parable of the prodigal son, to uh, Genesis 6, fallen angels, and Deuteronomy 32. You know, the man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. That's earth. You know, it says then he went away to another country. You know, and the servant that he sent, you know, is uh, the prophets. He sent the prophets to, you know, correct the tenants and and give guidance and collect you know the harvest the beloved son was of course you know jesus christ you know and the tenants said to one another you know this is the hour let us kill him then the inheritance will be ours you know that refers back to deuteronomy 32 the nations were divided amongst the sons of god as their inheritance but this you know the sons get inheritances so the angel of the lord you know which was jesus you know got israel so they plotted to kill him. But one thing I thought was a uh, neat correlation was when Paul said in First Corinthians, you know, if the rulers, the principalities, the authorities would have known, they would have not killed the Lord of glory. You know, they thought by killing the son that it was over with. You know, God would knew they meant business and, and leave it alone and leave them to rule the vineyard how they wanted to. But no, by killing the, the son, they sealed their fate. You know, and it says here, well, what will the vineyard owner do? 
He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Who are those others? That is us. Paul says, do you not know that you will judge the angels? You know, it says when, you know, when God returns, he rules for a thousand years and that we rule beside of him. We will take their place in the divine council. The fallen ones. Yes. Yes. The ones that killed the, the Lord of glory. I think that that goes and speaks back to a lot of what we talked about before because, like you just said, if they would have known that Jesus dying, so would have would have ultimately been our salvation. We talk about concealment in the parables. You don't think that they heard Jesus say those exact same words? That he was prophesying his own death, that he was saying that he had come, that he's going to rise on the third day. They didn't have the ears of discernment. God didn't let them have those ears of discernment that a lot of other people did. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. The reason Jesus died, if they would have known, it wouldn't have happened. And, and, and that was all part of God's plan. But that exact thing is that they needed that to have that, uh, like they did not have the ears to listen or their, 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 I want to say heart was hardened, but you know, they just didn't have the ability to, to take that parable and actually break it down and hear what he was saying. And I think that's just an, another important way of, of, of seeing that and that, you know, ultimately it led to Jesus dying and our salvation. I think that just is, that's as awesome evidence as you can to, to show that there's, there's discernment and concealment in parables together. So, yeah. And just to briefly mention the the barren fig tree parable, you know, in Luke chapter 13, once, you know, we learned about the three rebellions and started talking about them, in that parable, uh, a man plants a fig tree and it produces no fruit and they want to cut it down. He's like, no, no, uh, let me, let me tend it one more year. And he, you know, does all these things to it, waters it, second year, produces no fruit. They're like, well, we're going to cut it down. He's like, no, no, no. Just let, give me one more year. I'll dig around the roots and put in fertilizer and just, you know, give me one more year. And then after the third year, it started producing fruit. It reminded me of the three rebellions. God planted the fig tree. It was earth, humanity, and we produced no fruit. So what did he do? Kicked Adam out of the garden start over after the first rebellion the first year the second rebellion genesis 6 the flood came reset he's going to keep trying to get some fruit out of it then the third rebellion the tower of babel after jesus came some fruit started to come but now he's saying this is it this is the after the third year it's over with third rebellion it's over with next time he you know figuratively speaking going to burn the tree down Mm-hmm. That's Come, a different way of looking at coming it. Coming to yeah, harvest the fruit. <laughs> yeah, harvest this first before you burn it down. Please, oh, we, yeah. please. oh yeah, there's a separating of the wheat and, tra- and chaff before the fire. So, so separation of the the fruit and twigs. Yes, before the fire. <laughs> but guys, that was it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And like we always say in our intro, you know. The glory of God is to conceal things. 
but the glory of kings is to search things out. Keep digging. We thank you for listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. Questions, comments, or future episode ideas, we'd love to hear from you at thedig423 at gmail.com. If you enjoy our content, don't forget to share, subscribe, and check out our Facebook group at The Dig Podcast. Remember, you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. you got to dig.